This is Science Friday. I'm John Dankosky. And I'm Diana Plasker. It's been a little over a year since the Supreme Court overturned the federal right to an abortion. Since then, we've seen states jump into action. Thirteen have banned abortion, with limited exceptions. Three more have banned abortion after the first trimester. And a handful of other states have extremely restrictive access to abortion, or otherwise remain in legal limbo. Last year, we dug into the science of reproductive health care in the U.S. Today, we'll follow up to get a better sense of this new reality. I'm joined by Usha Ranji, Associate Director for Women's Health Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation, based in San Francisco, California. She recently co-authored a report which surveyed just under 600 OBGYNs from across the U.S. about their experiences. Usha, welcome to Science Friday. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start off by talking about states where abortion has been banned. What are OBGYNs reporting on how their patients are able to access abortions across state lines? We have now many states that have banned abortion, except for very, very limited exceptions. They're heavily concentrated in the southern part of the United States. And what we heard was that overall, half of OBGYNs who practice in those states say that they have had patients in their practice who were unable to obtain an abortion that they were seeking in the past year. And the states with abortion bans or severe restrictions are concentrated in the South and Great Plains. What's been the effect of this big block of states with abortion bans? Yeah, that means for patients, for people living in those states, if they are seeking abortion services, for the most part, they need to travel out of state. And depending on exactly where someone lives, that can be really far. It may mean several hundred miles. Um, it also depends, you know, what stage of pregnancy they're in before they can um, obtain abortion services. So what we've seen from other research is that there has been an increase in states where abortion remains legal. There has been an increase in patients coming from out of state. You know, what this survey also shows is that a lot of people just are not getting the abortion care that they're seeking. And so that means that they are, you know, having to continue the pregnancy. So even before this decision in the U.S., there are huge disparities in who has access to timely and affordable reproductive health care. Has this decision further deepened that divide? Well, I think that's a good point. You know, many of the states that have now banned abortion since the Dobbs ruling already had great limits um, on abortion access. The state of Mississippi, for example, only had that one clinic providing abortion services prior to the Dobbs decision. So access was already limited. In those states where abortion is now banned, there are virtually no OBGYNs providing abortion services. Um, Some do provide referrals out of state, but we also see that you know, 30% of OBGYNs in states with abortion bans are not offering their patients referrals or even any information about abortion services. So it does absolutely make a bigger difference. And it doesn't just seem like it's only affecting abortions. This can also impact miscarriage care and other pregnancy-related emergencies. What did your research find in that case? Yeah, absolutely. I think what some people don't realize is that the same medicines and procedures that are used for abortion are often used to manage miscarriages as well. And miscarriages are really common. Um, So what we saw was that nationally, one in five OBGYNs said that they personally have felt constrained in their ability to provide care for patients who are experiencing miscarriages 
or other pregnancy-related medical emergencies since the Dobb decisions. But again, it is much higher in states with abortion bans. It's 40% of OBGYNs that they personally have been constrained in caring for patients who are experiencing miscarriages. Wow. So it just seems like the effects are just so widespread. You also found that the type of birth control that patients were seeking has changed too. Tell me a little bit about that. More than half of OBGYNs nationally across the U.S. say that they have had seen an increase in the share of patients seeking some form of contraception in the past year, and particularly sterilization and the longer-acting methods, IUDs and implants. So, you know, 43% of OBGYNs said that they've had an increase in patients seeking sterilization services, that is, getting tubes tied, and about the same share saying that they've had an increase in patients asking for IUDs and implants. Well, what's happening in states where abortion remains legal? What are the differences? In states where abortion remains legal, doctors are still affected in the provision of care. Some of the states where abortion remains legal now, it's not clear that it's going to remain legal going forward. There are several cases Mm. pending in Iowa. You may have heard the governor there held a special legislative session specifically for restricting abortion access. The state legislature actually passed a law that restricted that restricts abortion access, but then just a day or two later is not in effect due to a court order. But that's a lot of change in policy in a very short amount of time. And so that can create a lot of confusion for doctors and patients in those states. Hmm. What does this mean for the future of abortion care and reproductive health at large? Yeah, I think, you know, looking to the future, um, we asked OBGYNs about what they think, you know, the effects are down the road. And over half said that they think that the ability to attract new OBGYNs to the profession has actually gotten worse because of Dobbs. And those are concerns that are shared by OBGYNs in states with different abortion policies. Um, I think that's something we really want to watch because some of the states that have banned abortion already had severe clinician shortages and also had some of the some of the worst maternal health outcomes. And now, you know, OBGYNs are telling us that there's the possibility that those are going to be exacerbated in the post-Roe world. Thank you so much. We've gotten to the end of our times together, Usha, and I just want to thank you so much for this report and for taking time to be with us today. Thank you. Usha Runji is Associate Director for Women's Health Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation based in San Francisco, California. As we just heard, there's a big disparity between states where abortion is banned or severely restricted versus those states where it remains legal. So we wanted to speak with a doctor who's navigating some of these realities, practicing in a state where abortion is legal and protected, but seeing patients who are traveling from states with bans in place. Dr. Rebecca Cohen is the medical director of the Comprehensive Women's Health Center based in Denver, Colorado. Dr. Cohen, welcome to Science Friday. Thank you so much for having me. So to start off, give us an overview. What's different about the patients that you're seeing since last year's Dobbs ruling? Yeah, there have been really a lot of changes. First, as you mentioned, we are seeing a lot more people from out of state. Before the Dobbs decision, only about 1 in 20 of our patients came from outside of Colorado, and now it's closer to 1 in 3, primarily from states that are nearby Colorado, like Texas, but truly from across the country, as it becomes harder and harder for people to seek care. We are also seeing more people for abortion 
outpatient care later in pregnancy, uh, often because it's taking such a long time to navigate the logistics and the barriers of finding childcare, of getting a flight and a hotel and an appointment, but also just because there are so many fewer places now that can care for people who've developed complications of their pregnancy uh, beyond the first trimester. So what's the impact on patients' care when they do have to travel so far to get to your clinic? Yeah, there there are a lot of impacts, unfortunately. Really, what we're seeing is a lot of stress um, from being in and navigating an unfamiliar environment. So instead of being able to go to a doctor that they know in a city that they live, they have to take more time off of work. They have to go to an airport, potentially, that they're unfamiliar with, get a car and trust strangers in a time that is really stressful. Um, All of that also involves a lot more expense. So abortion care uh, is often not covered by insurance, so people are paying out of pocket. Um, But then they have the additional expenses for travel and lodging and, again, kind of time away from work or school. So on the program in the past, we've talked about what the expansion of medication abortion versus surgical abortion could mean in a post-row landscape. So what is the ratio of surgical versus medication abortions that you're seeing? Yeah, so that's actually um, more of a complicated question than it seems at first, um, because my practice, ironically, is seeing fewer patients now for medication abortion, precisely because the options have expanded so drastically since the Dobbs decision last year. It used used to be that for a medication abortion, we had to see someone face-to-face even just to provide the medication. And during COVID, those rules were lifted, and Colorado has been at the forefront of expanding medication abortion access through telemedicine, so remote visits, through use of what we call advanced practice providers like nurse practitioners and nurse midwives. So even though my practice is seeing fewer people seeking medication abortion, um, we know that there are more now than 10 organizations offering medication abortion in Colorado, and so a lot more people are having access to it. Are you also seeing more patients who are seeking care for miscarriages or pregnancy-related health issues who are traveling from out of state because they, they can't get care in their home states or they're not sure if they can get care in their home states? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's been, you know, one of the hardest parts of this for everyone involved. So for patients, for providers, is just the uncertainty of what is allowed and what is not. Generally speaking, we have pretty well-defined guidelines for how to say this is a miscarriage or this is an ectopic or tubal pregnancy. Those are not considered viable pregnancies. They will not proceed to a live birth. And so we're generally able to intervene quickly uh, for medical safety. But as people have been so concerned to say, well, this could be perceived as providing abortion care. So doing a procedure to end a miscarriage, intervening in an ectopic pregnancy, they've made the guidelines or or kind of brought on these guidelines that are much more stricter than what is medically necessary. We're also seeing patients that are just, they are too scared to seek care within the formal health system. I have cared for patients in the past who would take a positive pregnancy test at home. And then rather than go to a doctor to say, say, hey, I got this test, like, can you confirm that I'm pregnant? If they know they don't want to be pregnant, they, they become afraid and just 
go. Um, so we have seen people now a few times over the last year that when we see them in our clinic after that, you know, again, 10, 12, 14 hour drive, we found out that they're not pregnant, that they may have miscarried recently in the past, or they may have misread the test. And so people are really going these extraordinary lengths for care that could be provided in their home state, but because of fear is not. And that's a really important distinction, right? People who in the past might have right away gone to a doctor and said, well, let's find out if I'm pregnant right now. Knowing that you're pregnant, if you're not sure you want to carry the pregnancy to term, that can be a problem in a lot of states. Absolutely. Because there, there are... There are times where it's imperative that someone seeks care. And one of those times is if there is a possibility of an ectopic pregnancy. So a pregnancy growing outside of the uterus in a space that it can't be sustained, that pregnancy can can rupture. So it can outgrow the fallopian tube, tear open and cause very dangerous internal bleeding. And, and there have been times where people are so afraid that if it's not an ectopic pregnancy or if it's deemed not dangerous enough yet, that they may get in legal trouble in their home state. So they take that risk to their own health of going outside of the place that they are to seek care, even when it's medically advised to seek care closer because of the legal risks. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the state of reproductive health care one year after the overturn of Roe versus Wade. I'm John Dankosky. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. One of the things that we heard earlier is that a lot of OBGYNs in the U.S. are are worried about increasing disparities in access to reproductive health care and abortion. Have you seen some of these disparities at play where you work? We have, and it's really at every level. You know, what we know is that when abortion care is restricted or banned, it takes more resources to find it. That is everything from health literacy or understanding how to navigate the healthcare system. It's having, you know, a computer or a smartphone to be able to look up information about where to go to get an abortion. It's understanding, you know, what is and is not legal in the place that you live to find that information to make those arrangements. And then again, it really is about having the financial and logistical support to overcome what is becoming bigger and bigger barriers in terms of making travel arrangements, being able to spend the money and have time away from family, work, school without having such a negative or insurmountable impact on your life. We've also been reading that medical training is starting to change in states where abortion is illegal and medical residents are trying to find training opportunities elsewhere. So have you seen an uptick in medical residents or nurses who want to train at your clinic? Yeah, we've gotten a lot of interest. And the challenge with procedural specialties like abortions is that it really does require experience to get the skills to be safe. And so we, although we're seeing an increase in volume, it's not to the point that my particular clinic can safely, you know, double the amount of people that we're training. Definitely getting people trained um, to a point that they are safe when the training opportunities have been so drastically restricted is, is a big problem for our field going forward. That's what I was going to ask. Going forward, do you see that it's possible that we will just not have enough OBGYNs and, and nurses trained in this work, that we just won't have enough people to provide the care? 
Yeah, and and you'd mentioned equity earlier, and this is definitely a huge equity issue for people in restricted states. We know that OBGYNs are choosing not to practice in areas where their practices are so so curtailed, or or where things that we can do safely and should be doing safely are not allowed. And the other is that abortion care is not important only for providing abortions, but it's incredibly important for an OBGYN to understand how to manage a miscarriage, how to manage a complication of a, of a pregnancy, and how to do things like provide contraception, which are often also restricted in those same ways. We also know that restricting abortion leads to increases in maternal mortality, in infant mortality, as people who are not um, healthy enough to you know, carry a pregnancy to term safely are often forced to by those circumstances or, or to give birth to a child who's also not healthy. There are a lot of medical realities of pregnant people that you've talked about, and many of those are overlooked in conversations about access to reproductive health care. Before we leave, I, I guess I'm wondering if there's anything else you wish people would know when they think about access to abortion or reproductive health care. It is not just about access to abortion. These restrictions take place in the setting of inequitable care. The states that are most restricting access to abortion are also the ones that generally provide the least support for contraceptive care, for prenatal care, for postnatal care. And all of those things have impacts on women, on children, on families, and that merely limiting or restricting access to abortion is not the way to make people healthier or safer. As all the time we have, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Rebecca Cohen, is the medical director of the Comprehensive Women's Health Center based in Denver, Colorado. Doctor, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your time.